Well, good morning. Uh, again, my name is Rob, and I'm one of the elders here. And we're continuing our series in uh, the book of Exodus. We've titled this series, Made Known to Be Made Known. And I have this question, what if? What if? Now that question can lead our hearts to, to great expectancy. You might say, what if there's a cure? What if we had a baby one day? What if we were able to pay off all of our debt? What if we were able to buy a home? What if I, I graduated? But for some, that question of what if can lead to great despair. What if I get sick? What if I lose my job? What if I lose everybody I love? What, what, if, what if I'm just under this debt for the rest of my life? And what if everyone leaves me? See, that question, what if, can reveal where your heart is rooted. Whether it's rooted in fear and worry, or if it's rooted in faith and trust in the promises of God. You see, for, for the people of Israel, that question was on their minds, in their souls, and probably came across the lips of every neighbor. You see, Pharaoh was committed to his strategy and plan of ethnic cleansing of the Jews in Egypt. You want to know why? It's because his life was rooted in fear. He feared that what if Israel grew too strong, and what if they're capable of overthrowing my reign and my rule. And his fear led to power grabs and control of the people around him, edicts to, to force labor on the Hebrews to brick-making, edicts for Hebrew midwives to kill babies on the birth stool. And yet, in spite of all of these wicked plans, God's people multiplied. God's people were blessed, and the blessing of God and the multiplication of, of God's people doesn't mean an easy life. It doesn't eliminate the evil devices of wicked Pharaoh. And so how, how do we, like we'll see with the women in the story, how do we ask the question of the what-ifs? Not with fear and trembling of man or fear and trembling of the future, but with fear of God and hope and faith in his promises. See, I think we're going to experience this in, in two movements. The first movement and the first point is the plans of man and the plans of God. And the second point, the second movement, is the plan of salvation and God's plan for man. And if, if you get anything at all out of this sermon over, over the next 25, 30 minutes, I, I want it to be this that the evil plan that is used to stop God is the very plan that God uses to save people. Hear, hear that again. The evil plan that is used to stop God and his people is the very plan that God uses to save his people. You know what that means for us? We can trust God. You can trust God. And so let's dive in. 
Here's the first point. The plans of man and the plans of God. We read this in verse 22 of chapter 1. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. I mean, imagine what it would have been like uh, being a Hebrew, an, an Israelite. I mean, there, there's no such thing as gender reveals at that time. Like, there's no Instagram parties with blue or pink balloons. No, the gender reveal came, came at birth, which means that every new baby born to a neighbor or a family member, there had to be terrible anxiety over whether that was going to be a boy or a girl. Because if a girl... She's no threat to Pharaoh. No threat. Get to live. But if it's a boy, drown him. For no other reason that he is from an immigrant family of a different nation, of a different ethnicity, and is a male. And Pharaoh says there's nothing you can do about it. These are dark days for the people of Israel. And you can imagine the fear of man, fear of future welling up within the people of Israel. But all along, God's using Pharaoh's plan, not killing women, to save the nation through these women. Enter Moses' mother, Jochebed. We read this in verses 2 to 3 of chapter 2. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him there three months. And when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulb rushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. Now Moses's mother is likely all alone at this point because his father was being whipped, was getting burned and tortured in the brick making yards. All alone, she takes one Look at her child, and she uses the same words that God used when he saw his creation and his image bearers in Genesis 1. She says the word tov, which means good. She declares him when she says he's, he's fine, or some translations say he's a beautiful child. She's using that word tov, which means good. She's declaring him what God declares every human being, regardless of nationality, ethnicity, male or female. All are good, for they are image bearers. Because all human, bear, human beings, regardless of what the government says, laws say, vigilantes in Georgia say, are beautiful and wonderfully made in God's image. And therefore, no one, no one has the right to take life all the way from womb to tomb. No one does. And so by faith, look at what Moses' parents decide. The author of the Hebrews in chapter 11, verse 23 says, By act of faith, Moses' parents hid him away for three months after his birth. They saw the child's beauty, and they braved the king's decree. See, Moses' parents defy Pharaoh's orders when Pharaoh defies the order of God that all human beings are created in the image of God. God honors their faithful defiance. I mean, their faithful civil disobedience is codified and celebrated for the ages in the epistle of Hebrews. 
God will honor the defiance of a ruler when the ruler calls us to defy God's commands. And this faith of Jacob, the faith of Moses' parents, leads to courage and not fear of man. She builds a, a mini ark. See that word for basket in verse 3? is only used in one other place. Do you know where? The flood, Genesis 6, where God preserved a family through an ark to multiply the nations. And now God is preserving Moses through this mini ark in a river to multiply his nation. So Jacobed, his Moses' mom, trusts God in this moment in the same place where Pharaoh drowned boys the river. And now here comes Moses' sister, Miriam, watches over him. And then here comes the most ironic character of the whole story, Pharaoh's daughter. She's bathing in the very river where her daddy drowns baby boys. She sees a basket, then he orders, she orders her servant girl to go grab it. She hears his cry and she has compassion on this Hebrew boy. And this imagery is a foretaste of God hearing the cry of his people and having compassion on them. And then Miriam comes in, offers a wet nurse and says, I'll get someone to nurse the baby for you. And so she grabs Moses's mom. Her baby lives and she gets paid to do the very thing she was created to do. Talk about grace upon grace. She gets her baby, her baby lives, and she gets paid to nurse him. I mean, look at the faith of Jacobin. She stiff arms the fear of man and puts her faith in God's promises. What was she having her faith in? Faith that God will use all evil, Genesis 50, for the good of his people and the glory of his name. She has faith that God promised will be, he will be with his people in Egypt, Genesis 46. He was. Faith that God promised to multiply his people, Genesis 1, Genesis 15, Genesis 17. He did. And faith that God promised to punish the wicked of racist enslavers of Egypt. What if you enslave my people? My God multiplies them. What if you try to kill the male image bearers from the womb? My God will save them through female image bearers. And what if you try to kill the sons of the house of Israel through drowning in a river? My God will save them and draw them out of the river through the daughters of his enemy's house. The very plan man uses to stop God and his people is the very plan God will use to save his people. Church, you can trust your God. You can trust his character. You can trust his plans. The plans of man will never exhaust the plans of God. We can trust God. And we can trust him because his plans are the plans of salvation. And we're going to see in the second point, God's plan for man. If you get your Bible still open, look at Exodus chapter 2, verse 10. When the child, that's Moses, grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses 
Because, she said, I drew him out of the water. Now, if we think it was difficult for Yonkabed to give up Moses to the mercy of God once, I mean, imagine doing it a second time. I mean, some of you young boys who are watching right now, your mamas love you. I mean, we, we've heard it said, now that we have two boys in this house, that for a mother to have a son is like a slow breakup for 18 years until he leaves the home. Ho hopefully they leave the home uh, by that time and they're not still there um, at, at a later date. It's like a slow breakup. For Moses' his mom, Jochebed, she got three, maybe four years as she weans her son. I mean, imagine every sunset nursing that baby boy down, knowing that it's one day closer to handing him off to another woman. Imagine him, her listening to Moses trying to say the Hebrew, Hebrew word for mother, Amma, and then knowing he's going to be calling one of her enemies, Amma. Imagine watching him run around with his older brother and sister, Miriam and Aaron, knowing that she, he's going to be running around with other little boys and girls. And imagining wondering, what if, what if my son forgets me? On one hand, it's God's mercy to bring salvation and save her son from the river. He's now the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. No one can touch him. He's in the king's palace. But no matter how much you silver line this scenario, it's not easy. It takes deep trust. It takes holy resolve. It takes tear-filled hope and trust in a God who fulfills all of his promises. And so by faith and with courage, Jochebed hands her son off to another woman who now adopts him and names him Moses. And his name means, I drew him out of the water. I wonder, is God this trustworthy in your life? No, you, you, you don't have the same story as Jochebed and Miriam or even Pharaoh's daughter, but you do have a story. And do you trust God's plans for your life? Not just his plans for your salvation through Jesus, but the plans until Jesus calls us home. I mean, are you more controlled by worry of the future? Or are you controlled by trust in a faithful God? Are you, are you consumed by the trouble that is all around you right now? Or are you consumed by the trustworthiness of a God who is with you right now in all of your trials and troubles? Where, where church, do you, do you put your faith, hope, and trust? See, Moses' parents, from that passage that we read earlier, chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews is the, called the Hall of Faith. And what all of those men and women have in common is their faith is astounding because their faith was in the midst of great difficulties uncertainties, and pain. Yet they trusted God. Do you trust God right now? 
Do you trust his character? That he is the way maker. He is the promise keeper. He is our deliverer. He is our redeemer. He is sovereign and he is good. The apostle Paul puts it perfectly. He says in Romans 8:28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The question is not, will God work all things out for our good? That's not the question. The question is, will we trust that he will work all things out for our good? I mean, what if God wants to use your trials and your tribulations, not to multiply worry, not to multiply fear so that you can create and force your plans onto your kids, onto your friends, onto your roommates, but instead he wants to use this season to multiply trust in his perfect plan that he works everything out for your good. Do you trust him? Many of you have heard me share this story before. When, when Miles was just about um, a year old, we had to rush him um, to the hospital in the middle of the night because uh, he could barely breathe. And um, when we got there around midnight, the, the medical staff tells us that it's croup. And Laura and I begin telling Miles, like, we, we love you. We are here for you. We're not going to leave you. We're going to stay right here by your side. And then the doc tells me that I have to hold my son still. I have to force him on the medical table while they poke him and they prod him with medical devices through his nostrils, down his throat, and eventually strap him to a gurney. And the look in his face is saying, Dad, why are you allowing them to do that to me? And I had to keep telling him. Even though his little mind and his little soul could not comprehend how this plan was for his good, I kept telling him, I love you. I know this hurts, but I'm with you. Everything we're doing right now is for your good. This will make you healthy and whole. And son, it'll be all over soon. Listen, these momentary trials will be over soon. And God's using every one of them to make you look more like Jesus. And they'll pale into comparison to the eternal glory that we'll have with Christ Jesus and all the saints in the new heavens and new earth. You see, when God takes us through these stages of life that seem evil, that seem tough, that seem like we can barely get through it and there's so many uncertainties, he's saying, I'm going to use every one of them for your good. And what is that good? Well, Paul tells us in Romans 8, it's for our conformity to Jesus. That we look more and more like our Savior who suffered for us. This always was and will be the plan of salvation was won through suffering. And this is God's plans for man that will become more like Jesus through suffering. God has always used the evil and the sufferings for, for good. I mean, if anyone knew this, it was the people of Israel. I mean, thousands of years, even after their slavery in Egypt, they're now underneath Roman oppression. And then for 400 years, they did not hear from God. And then this mother comes on the scene. Her name is Mary. 
and by faith in the promise for her son that was in her womb. She named her boy Jesus, whom another leader whose life was marked by fear ran an edict through all of Jerusalem and the known land to kill every single Jewish boy underneath the age of two because Mary's son was the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he wanted him wiped out. So by faith, Joseph and Mary hid Jesus. Where? They went down to Egypt. And like Moses, God caused his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. He draws him out of Egypt to then go and perform signs, wonders, and miracles amongst people who will hate him and eventually crucify him. But where God drew Moses out of the waters to then walk through the judgment waters of the Red Sea unscathed and to save his family and all of Israel, God is now drawing Jesus Christ out of Egypt to be drawn into the judgment waters of God's wrath on the cross. You see, Jochebed eventually watched her son lead her, her husband, her daughter, her other son, and all of Egypt, Israel, safely through the judgment waters, freed from oppression, and then watched those waters destroy their enemies. But God the Father watches his only son, Jesus Christ, be destroyed by his very own enemies, so that his enemies would remain enemies no longer, but become children of the living God by faith through Jesus, who wants to free them from the oppression of their fear of man, free them from their oppression of the fear of the future, and fear of judgment to come. You see, Stephen, in the book of Acts, in chapter 7, he's preaching this entire story and says, you are these stiff-necked people. You are the ones who devised these evil plans on Jesus. You crucified him. Your fear, your shame, and your sin nailed Jesus to the cross. But it was God's good and sovereign plan to use your evil for your good so that through his death, You would not receive judgment, but by faith, love from the Father. This is the plan of salvation. Salvation for people who are riddled by fear and force their plans on all other people, their roommates, their neighbors, their co-workers, their kids. This is salvation for people who have failed to trust God, which is all of us. Salvation is not offered for people who have a stiff upper lip. Salvation is not offered for people who are strong and courageous on their own. Salvation is offered for people who know that the only thing they contributed to their salvation was the sin and fear that necessitated their salvation. And so God says, come. You don't have judgment to fear any longer because I punished Jesus on that cross. He walked through those judgment waters so you can walk through unscathed. And when we know we are in Christ Jesus, we no longer have to fear judgment because what's awaiting you is a future of acceptance, love, and glory with God the Father, God the Son Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And that love casts out all fear. It casts out fear of the future, casts out fear of man, and it casts out fear of condemnation because all who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for you because you are in Jesus Christ. 
And now by faith, we, you and I, who are once foreigners, immigrants to God's promise, because we, me, I'm a Gentile, I'm not a Jew, I'm grafted in, welcomed in, even more, we are now adopted. We're adopted children of God by faith. And because we are adopted by grace through faith alone, nothing can touch our relationship with God. Nothing can separate our relationship with God. We have nothing to fear. When you are adopted into God's family, no one can touch God's love for you. No one can snatch you from your father's loving arms. You are his and you will always be his. And so church, we get to move forward by saying we have trust and faith in these promises of God. And this is how God kept writing his story after the resurrection of Jesus. That his plan for salvation, his plan for all men and women is that through Jesus' life, his death, and resurrection, there's going to be more evil plans of man. There's going to be more suffering, but God is going to use all of that to multiply his church and multiply his people. I mean, you see it in the book of Acts, that from the moment the church was born, people wanted to stomp them out. But around every corner, God kept adding to their number those who who are being saved, and no one could stop the Jesus movement. Day to day, people were being welcomed in and saved by grace through faith. This is God's plan for the church, and this is the plan of our sovereign and good God. I mean, what if that question, what if, what if our questions stop operating out of a motivation of fear and worry and instead start operating out of hope and trust in the promise of God? What if we start saying, what if God wants to use this moment right now to deepen my trust in his promise that he will never leave me or forsake me? What if we said, what if God wants to use this trial right now to make more disciples because I'm trusting in his promises that he will build his church and not even the gates of hell will prevail against it? What if right now we believe in God's character that he desires to save all People And that leads us to pray for all people, all of our kids, all of our neighbors, all of our family members to be saved. What if in this moment we had such great expectancy that God is going to use this moment in history to turn people's thoughts upside down, that this world is broken and that they're broken and that they're in need. And then they might come knocking on your door like my neighbor did yesterday. And as I talk with him, he says, I'm in need of help. And I think I need this Jesus that you've told me about before. And by faith, I shared the gospel with him. And by faith in what Jesus has done, we now have a new brother in Christ Jesus. What if God wants to use this moment to multiply more disciples, to keep building his church and to keep fulfilling his promises even to the end of the age because he is with us always. Church, what if our hearts believe that everything we see happen in this world, every plan that we see, God's going to use that plan. God will always use that plan for his glory and our good. Church, you can trust this God. Let's pray. Father in heaven.